The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today is Sean Storms, who's the president and chief revenue strategist of The Third Door. And that's a rapidly growing revenue growth strategy firm that's based right here in the Kansas City area. A nationally recognized thought leader on creating real competitive advantage, Sean founded his company after a 27-year executive career that was rooted in senior-level sales management and continuous process improvement. Sean's Clients have realized double and triple digit revenue and margin growth within just four to six months of successful implementation. Sean is also a published author, a keynote speaker, and a nationally syndicated bi-monthly guest columnist to the American City Business Journal. He has a new book called The Third Door that's due the first quarter of 2013. We're very excited to see that when it comes out, by the way. Welcome to the show today, Sean. Kelly, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes. Okay, let's just get right down into this. I mean, double and triple digit growth within a matter of months of working with you, that's just remarkable. Um, I mean, I know you're going to tell us some of the secrets to that, what what we need to do, but let's take a little bit different approach to get started. What are some of the primary reasons or the causes that you see just the opposite, regressive profitable revenue growth, which you call PRG? I mean, what 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 is the reason that you don't achieve those kinds of triple-digit growth uh, in your revenues? Well, it's a great question, and there are some counterintuitive components to the third-door platform, and one of them is that profitable revenue growth, PRG, that it begins with the salespeople, that our value proposition inside of our company is, is just and robust and should drive what the senior executive group thinks it should drive. And so we delegate the lifeblood of our company, which is PRG, to the sales force. And and I'll talk a little about the sales force. I spent 27 years leading sales organizations, big and small. And I can tell you that uh, while I love salespeople, I think they have the toughest job uh, inside the company, that that's not the place where sales nirvana is created. It's actually created at the top. And so when we get into the actual causes, that's one of them, is is who's got responsibility for creating the value proposition. But let's start with sameness. Um, Almost any industry that I speak to, geographically or any industry, every single time when we have the initial discussion, when I'm brought in to discuss this issue with the senior executive group, it almost always comes down to there's no distinction in what they're doing. They think they have it internally inside the company, But again, after we do some very quick analysis, we find out that they're living in this world of sameness. And if I may say so, here's what happens. Because they're a bit oblivious to it, they suddenly become exposed in the marketplace. We all know what happened the last four years with the Great Recession. The first thing that happens is is exposure, but it's not like somebody waves a sign out inside of their company saying, wow, your value prop has been exposed. 
then, of course, that leads into irrelevance, and then we get into, well, actually vulnerability, then irrelevance, and then it gets, it's just a slippery slope. Right, just downhill from there, absolutely. So what do you have to do? When you say sameness, uh, as you say, internally, uh, companies probably don't realize that they've got this sameness syndrome going on. They probably think that they are very distinctive out there in the marketplace. Uh, what What are some of the uh, questions you can ask yourself or, as a company to really drill down and see whether you do have that unique uh edge that you're talking about having? Sure. Well, you know, I have a Deming background, and Dr. W. Weber Deming, you know, was the quality, efficiency, productivity expert who helped Japan back in the early 50s and beyond become the economic juggernaut that they are today, Sony, Lexus, Honda, all the companies we know. Um, I'm a Deming disciple, and so Deming has his 14 points for management, and point number one is constancy of purpose. Uh, in fact, I, I wrote about that just today in the uh, Kansas City Business Journal. What What is the sense of purpose with the company? And so when I sit with the senior group, I'll say to them, what is your purpose? Now, not just the purpose statement, but where I'm going with this is, what do you see your role as, as let's say a business owner, president of a company, COO, CEO? And the term that I like to use is they need to become more of a value architect. This is all about value design. Most companies that I work with, when they focus on the top group, when they focus on being a value architect and actually design a value proposition that resonates, that strikes the genuine customer chord, it halos the entire company and it puts the salespeople in a great position to win. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing we do. It's kind of a shift in thinking of traditional responsibilities at the top versus, wow, I should be spending a very large portion of my time designing value. Right, right. I've even heard you say before that if you, and, and I, I may not get this exactly right, so, so correct me uh, if, I, if I miss it a little bit, but you, I've even heard you speak about uh, the fact that if you have a sales force in your company that you're not doing your job as the upper-level executive or as the CEO, Talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that. Well, I use some very strong words, and, you know, it, it repels some people, and sure. some people gravitate towards this sort of thing. I, I Because I lived in that world for so long, leading salespeople, um, I'm, I'm uniquely qualified to answer this, and that is I think it's an indictment. I often think when we throw more salespeople at the problem, problem being, being low revenue and or low margins, I think it's an indictment on the value proposition. For instance, I have a saying that, again, either people are drawn to it or they run from it. The sales organization only exists because demand does not, and that makes sense. It's irrefutable, and therefore, my question um, all the time is, you know, regardless or independent of the marketing and sales groups inside of a company, at the very top of the organization, what are we doing to create demand? When we create demand, not only does that fill the pipeline, it fills the pipeline with more qualified um, prospects and potentially more lucrative, more profitable, because when somebody calls you to do business with you, you can often charge a premium because they want what you have versus living in the world of selling where sometimes we, we are competing on price, or often we are, especially if we're living in a world of sameness. 
Absolutely. And I know it's an often used example, but it is a very relevant example, and that is, is Starbucks. I mean, it's coffee, yet they can charge three fifty for a cup of coffee, whereas you go someplace else and it's a dollar. Uh, how can they charge the three fifty? They've created the demand for that, and they've created an experience around it. So they can, they're not down there competing on price anymore. And, and so that's what your message is, is that how are you unique? What are you, 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 you're probably selling something very similar to everybody else out there, but, but how are you showing, how are you demonstrating to the marketplace the value proposition of what you're selling in relationship to what your competitors are selling, if, I, uh, if I'm understanding you correctly? Oh, you understand it perfectly, Kelly. And the, the term that I like to use, the, the statement, is what's the value, what value are you delivering to your uh, customers that's independent of the core product or service? And what you just mm-hmm. described with Starbucks is a perfect example, and we have those examples everywhere. When we talk about creating demand, okay, then we have to design value that strikes the, the genuine chord. Um, I often think of something I've termed the core four, and we can look at Starbucks and Apple and Pixar and all these companies I've studied the past decade. Whole Foods Market, the core four, and here's what those companies are selling versus the core product or service. They're selling, number one, culture. Mm-hmm. Number two, they're selling, as you mentioned, customer experience. Number three, they're selling community. I mean, there's such powers we know, especially the age we live in here in the third millennium. Humans have this innate desire to belong. And so I'm often asking companies, if you have these great um, clients, are we building community and, and nurturing that and leveraging that? And last but not least is story. I mean, we've all, we all know the stories of Steve Jobs when he said back in the day uh, when he created uh, the iPod and um, iTunes, he said, you know, computers are great, but as far as I can tell, ever since mankind came to be, we sat around forest fires and told stories. Right, right. Yeah, and that's something that you're hearing more and more about, even from a marketing perspective. Uh, it's all about the story these days. Uh, you, you have to, that's what's resonating with the customers, and some people think it's a fad, but as you pointed out, it, it's just finally been brought into focus. It's been there all along, like you said, since since the early days of humanity, sitting around a fire. It's nothing new, but it's suddenly been discovered, I guess, and and brought out for everybody to trot it out for everybody to uh, see. So, uh, so culture, experience, community, and story. Uh, take us through some of those brands. For, well, one of them that you didn't mention is Southwest Airlines, for example. They, they have this down. Well, when you think about that, and um, by the way, when I think of the core four, there are some well-known national thought leaders who will say, again, in the third millennium, the new selling is marketing. And that's very difficult for the gurus that we probably all grew up with on the sales side and what they mm-hmm. taught us about technique and that sort of thing, which is you know, kind of good for the salesperson, versus this taking this ecosystem that's out there and aligning critical success factors to actually deliver what we want, and that's how we get to the core four. Look at Southwest Airlines. I mean, when, when Herb Kelleher and his uh, partner, when they developed the concept for Southwest Air back in 1971, Am I wrong, Kelly, or is it kind of shocking that we're 40 years beyond that and all of their competitors haven't yet figured out what they've done? That's 
slays me. I mean, seriously, you've, they've had 40 years to study it, and what are they doing to try to get ahead? It's selling or charging now for pillows and blankets, you know. Exactly. So and and well, Southwest isn't even charging for luggage yet. So. <laughs> and you know that kind of comes back to um, digress just for a moment. It comes back to their business model, where these guys looked at it and said, "Look, we're not going to be status quo. We're not going to be saying this." We're not going to fly into traditional markets, traditional airports. We're going to fly one kind of plane, which obviously lower, lowers all of their costs, which then allows them to pass that on to the customer in the form of um, they're not going to charge for bags. But it takes a very forward-thinking value architect at the top, in their case, Herb Kelleher, who looked at the rest of the industry and said, I'm going to democratize the skies. You know, in 1971, this was a novel idea Absolutely. where only, you know, business travelers and the well-heeled folks could travel, and that was their core sense of purpose. Again, Deming would say constancy of purpose, but how they've done the core four is just amazing. I mean, their culture, again, it takes someone at the top. Now they drive this very happy employee-centered culture like like Tony Shea has done at Zappos, meaning it can be repeated, and they've done that. They've built staunch community. People who love Southwest Air will go out of their way to fly them. And by the way, you and I joke about nobody in the U.S. has been able to duplicate that model in 40 years. Not many people have heard of Michael O'Leary, who visited Herb Kelleher and his team in the mid-'80s, took it to Europe, and son of a gun, Ryan Air calls more people based out of Ireland with the exact same model that Southwest wow. Airlines employed in the U.S. and nobody's ever heard of Michael O'Leary. Right, right. No, I haven't. And I mean, it's crazy. I suppose, I, yeah, I suppose in Europe they have, but but again, the fact that they apply these principles, uh, the culture, experience, community, and story. And and it, you can see it played out throughout their organization from the flight attendants. They are, they if they don't act like they're or if they're really not happy, they sure are doing a good job acting like they are, because uh, the, it just permeates everything that they do. So that is where that that is the mar- marketing is the new selling. Absolutely, with the core four, hear that a lot. The value proposition and something else that you uh, bring up quite a bit uh, in in your writing and when you speak are the left brain creative types versus the right brain logical management types. Now, you're saying that to uh, create this value proposition, that's not the sales team's responsibility, that that's the upper-level managers, executives, yet you know, they're the right brain logical ones. So, so that seems like it's almost an impossible task. How, how are they supposed to do that if they're too logical thinking? Well, well said. And again, um, it becomes very difficult unless they're desperate and they're open to new ideas at the top. The sales organization becomes, for lack of a better term, Kelly, field researchers. They're like anthropologists. And we have to, you know, when you say permeation, you know, how do we get all these things permeated like Southwest has done throughout the organization? It comes back to Deming. It's process-based. And so, uh, I'll come back to the question, but the point is, can you get all of these things that are that fulfill the company's purpose, can we integrate them into the systems and processes that already exist in the organizations, including things like compensation, um, employee reviews, assessments, um, meetings that we have, uh, how we reward, how we recognize, how we hire, how we fire. All these things is what companies like Southwest have done to they achieve permeation by integrating all of these things throughout their systems and processes, then it becomes sustainable. So getting back to um, 
this question about left brain and right brain, it does take someone at the top to say, listen, the customer has our answers. The problem is, and this is a key point that I make with all of my clients, you know, traditional sales training that I've been through, probably you've been through, the listeners have been through, we're taught to go in and, you know, figure out the needs by asking the right questions and then aligning our value proposition with their needs. And in this day and age, here's the problem. All your competitors are doing the same thing. They're walking in with similar solutions, coming up with the same needs, the same pain, if you will, which I, I, I just I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. The field researcher, the salesperson now goes in and their responsibility is to say, how do you do what you do? Why do you do that? Question things. Become an anthropologist. You know, it's like an Indiana Jones archaeology thing. Bring all that information back to the company. Now you get into a war room and say, wow, the past couple of months, look at what we've learned from our customers' challenges, how they do things. Here's what customers want, Kelly. They want new ideas. They want, they want challengers. They want people to come in and say, look, I need you to understand my business. That will take time. And at the end of the day, filter that through your experience on what you do on your side of the fence and come up with something that helps me succeed. That's not the way the traditional sales organization exists. Right, right, not at all. That just turns it right on top of its head. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and so whenever you have these these field researchers out there, your sales team becomes field researchers. So, what would and I I hesitate to even use this word the standard. So, you know, you you hear some of these different sales training techniques. In fact, you know, you if somebody comes in, I can almost tell which one which method they're using on me to tell you the truth. Sure. Because I've read about them, I've I've been through some of the training, as you said, and so you, you everybody has been, and so you can recognize them. So, when you're out there, you're sitting at your field researchers instead of your salespeople, if you want to call change the terminology there, the semantics. What would a what what would the uh, sales meeting be like then? What sorts of questions are being asked? What does the conversation sound like versus the typical sales techniques that that are employed in millions probably of sales meetings that are going on across the country every day? Absolutely. Great question. Um, you know, remember what we're after here. At the end of the day, we want to supply our very bright value architects, and not just at the top, but throughout all uh, areas of the organization. Everybody can participate if it's done well. I'm a big believer in employee involvement. But let's face it, you know, we have these very well-educated, very smart people employed in our company, and so the sales meeting should revolve around a whole host of issues. For instance, if, in fact, we're bringing back more and more of this insightful information from these customer meetings, well, then this these sales meetings, which I'll refer to as a war room, we sit there and say, okay, which questions work best? For instance, I'll, I'll give your listeners a few. Mm-hmm. One of the ones I like is um, if you're sitting in front of a customer to start the conversation, what's the most important thing we ought to be talking about today? Oh. That's, not, that's not me focused. That's customer focused. Absolutely. Sure. If I say, uh, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, what are you trying to get done around here? Um, if I ask questions like, hey, what are your thoughts on X? What are your, what, are, what has been your experiences with Y? The whole thing is to glean information, figure out how they think and why they think. So you bring that back to the sales meeting. A, uh, everyone should be sharing what questions work best, meaning that uh, elicit the best responses, the most useful responses from customers. Mm-hmm. And so now we start to develop standard process inside of the sales group. 
as we learn all of this information, I'm a big fan, by the way, of Jill Conrath, K-O-N-R-A-T-H. Jill is a probably the only national sales guru that, that I align with, and, and she aligns with the third-door process. She's a big fan of when we actually prospect. We should be using all of this information I'm referring to that we've been bringing into the company that the salespeople should then be talking about. How are we, how are we now using that information to prospect into ideal clients, again, by asking good questions, hey, Mr. Prospect, um, here are the things we've learned in your in your industry that are triggering events, challenges, and maybe we supply some education-based marketing. The whole idea is what precedes you before you get into the sales call. And so in sales meetings, the whole thing is to, is to continuously hone and develop or develop and hone this sales process that is totally revol- revolves around the customer so that not only does the sales process itself go faster, but our opportunity to conversion ratios will increase at a more rapid rate. Absolutely. And and that's how, as you you know, you I said in your introduction, your clients are achieving uh double and triple growth within just a few months. Again, at that accelerated pace, uh it's not going you know, taking several years to accomplish that. It's it's happening almost immediately. So that's how quickly this can turn around. What is the third door? It's the name of your company, it's the name of the new book that's coming up. I suspect that it's a combination of all these things we've been talking about, but just, you know, in a nutshell, why where's that name uh generated from? Well, the first door is status quo, same old same old. We hung the shingle, we're open for business, but yikes. People aren't coming in the door as much as they used to. You know, I'll have people joke occasionally and they'll say to me or some marketing partners that I have, they'll say, uh, what, like, if we do this tomorrow, we can have, you know, 40 people showing up, uh, you know, outside of our building. And, and they'll say that's impossible. I say, really? Hmm. It's very possible. And once you start considering that possibility, things open up. So first door is that, status quo. The second door is a lot of, I think, where companies have been going, which is everything from, you know, attempting to create blue ocean strategies and um, differentiation is a very popular word. I like to think that whether that's competitive advantage, playing to your strengths, that's kind of a second door. You can win, you can grow a bit, you certainly won't won't fail. But I've got I've set the bar very high, and if you want to kind of really reach this this turbocharged status, we have to go beyond competitive advantage. We have to talk about the core four. We have to talk about value architects at the top. We have to talk about repositioning the sales organization to deliver what we really needed to deliver, which is this innovative fuel you know, that always keeps us ahead of our competition, um, you know, delivers greater growth, higher margins, all those things. So that's what the third door is. It's beyond each and every one of these components that we tend to talk about over lunch with our business associates. Right, right. So if there were one thing, as we wrap up here today, if there were one thing that you could leave our audience with that they could just go back and implement right now, what would it be? I realize that th- this is is a process, but if there were one thing that you think they could get immediate results from doing after listening to you today, what would it be? One action. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Um, no pressure. I, I would say developing a real sense of purpose of why the company exists, why are we here, 
what are we resolved to accomplish inside of our company? And the reason I choose that component, it's not only number one in the seven-step third-door process, it is the foundation for everything, and I'm a big fan of simplification, Kelly. It simplifies everything inside the company. Should we hire this person to come on and run this department? I don't know. Does it fulfill our sense of purpose? Yes, it does. Okay, we should hire them. Should we invest in this particular system that's going to cost us a lot of money? Maybe it's a capital expenditure. Well, I don't know. Does it fulfill our purpose? So everything, for instance, one of the, another counterintuitive uh, term that I like to throw out there is um, in terms of this issue of sense of purpose, people will say, well, we have to grow. That's something I hear every time I walk in the room. Yeah. We have to grow. And I say, your goal isn't to grow. Your goal is to fulfill the purpose. And if the purpose gets fulfilled, everything happens. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. It takes right. some studies. Sometimes it will take me a week with a client. Sometimes it takes a month. But that's my answer is, is answer this question of what's the higher calling, what's your true north? Okay, because everything emanates from that. If you don't have that figured out, then it doesn't matter what else you do. So for the people who are listening here today who want to know more, who want to get in touch with you, perhaps get on the list to get your book whenever it comes out at the beginning of 2013 or the first quarter of 2013, how would they do that, Sean? The easiest way is to go to the main website. Um, it's a mashup of, a word, of two words, which is we're experiencing a revenue revolution out there, and all those companies that we profile today are employing this method, and so it's revolution. If you go to www.therevolution, R-E-V-E-N-U-T-I-O-N, therevolution.com, uh, boy, you can contact me there. Uh, very easy way to do that. And what I tell a lot of people is, Connect with me on social media. Sometimes yes. that kind of some people do it better than others, but um, like the Facebook page that we have, the business Facebook page, because I'm putting out a ton of beneficial content every single day, um, and that's the best way to do it. Okay, so go to www.therevenution.com. T H E R E V E N U T I on.com. Sean, it's been wonderful talking with you today. Let us know when the new book comes out, and uh, we'll have you back on the show, okay? Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.